Well, good morning, Sugar Creek. My name is Juan Carlos Heredia, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of the Spanish ministry here at Sugar Creek. And I want to thank Pastor Mark for the opportunity to be able to share with you this morning, although it does seem appropriate that it would be the Spanish pastor that preaches on Cinco de Mayo. Um, <laughs> but I want to welcome our Missouri City family as well. We are so proud of what God is doing in you and through you. And I want to welcome our online viewers as well. Thank you for allowing our church to be the instrument that God uses this day to bless your life. Well, we've come to the end of what is nothing short than an amazing series on prayer. I don't know about you, but I've been tremendously blessed with the topics and the themes that we've touched on every single week. And I've been challenged by what we've seen throughout this time. And Pastor Mark's original vision, as he had set up this sermon series, was to help us come together and pray as a church, that we would truly elevate prayer in the life of our church, and not only in our church, but that we would do it individually as well. So the idea was that we would pray not only here at Sugar Creek, but we would pray in our marriages, we would pray in our families, we would pray in our job sites, we would pray in our neighborhoods, our connect groups, our home groups, and every opportunity that we have. And as a result, we've seen some incredible things happen throughout these last 40 days where God's hand has moved in so many lives. And you can probably tell some of those stories from your own life. So as a quick recap of what we've seen so far, on the first week, Pastor Mark set the tone for us so that we can understand that praying together has much more of an impact than when we pray individually. Then when we come together as a church, historically and biblically, there will be always a bigger impact in our lives, in our communities, and around the world. Then on the second week, Pastor Tim Homa explained to us how we overcome obstacles in our lives. And because of the fact that when we take seriously prayer, then we start facing challenges, and he explained to us what we need to do and how it starts in our own hearts to overcome those obstacles. Then on the third week, Pastor Mark, once again, he explained to us that, um, how we get results in our prayer life. And it's a key thing, and that is when we open up our hearts to God's wants, that is the key so that we can have success and results in our prayers. Then on the fourth week, Pastor Libin Abraham, he came and he reminded us that God responds our prayers not because of our merits, but because of his mercy. And that's a good thing for us because despite our failures, we can trust in God that he will respond when we repent and we humiliate ourselves. Then on the fifth week, last week, Pastor Libin did an incredible job of challenging us to pray kingdom-sized prayers, that we would pray uh, in, in a way that we would have the perspective of God's kingdom rather than our small kingdom. And today I have the honor of closing out the series, of ending the series, and I thought in honor of Avengers Endgame, this sermon should last three hours. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if, yeah, I didn't think that would fly. Okay, uh, anyhow, the purpose today with, with this sermon is to help us overcome a temptation that uh, can, can naturally be built when we start 
building a strong prayer life. That naturally comes when we're building a strong prayer life. And it's this, that a lot of times we're under the impression that the stronger our prayer life is, the more exempt we'll be from having to face a tragedy, a crisis, an emergency in our lives. For some reason, we're under this impression that the closer we are to God in our prayer life, the further we are from the challenges that naturally come from life. That's the reason why a lot of times when someone is going through a challenge and they're a believer, we will automatically think or challenge up and say, well, maybe God is punishing you, or maybe this is because you haven't been close to God, you haven't been praying enough, and that's why you're facing this. But the reality is that Scripture never tells us this. This is not a biblical way of thinking. Because when we do this, when we think this way, what we actually do is we start treating prayer as though it was a good luck charm that's there to ward off all of the troubles that we have to face in life. The reality is this, that whether you have a strong prayer life or a weak prayer life, you will face emergencies and troubles in your life. Whether you're praying or you're not praying, you will face those crises in your life. So then, some of us might be thinking this, what's the point then of building a strong prayer life, if in the end I still have to face the emergencies of life. And here is the first principle that I want to give you this morning that's going to guide us through the rest of what we're going to see uh, this morning. And it's this. A strong prayer life does not prevent us from facing an emergency. It prepares us for facing an emergency. A strong prayer life does not prevent us from facing an emergency, it will actually prepare us and strengthen us for those moments that you and I will unavoidably have to face. See, the crisis that we face in our lives is something that comes with living in a fallen world. It's something that can come up unexpectedly or that we cannot avoid as well. Like happened to me last year. A few years back, um, my precious 15-year-old daughter, Danya, uh, who was born with special needs, the doctor came to us and told us that she needed surgery. One of the characteristics of the syndrome that my daughter has is that she has scoliosis. And normally, scoliosis twists your spine into a C-shape. In her case, she had the worst-case scenario. She had what's called a double major curve and that twists your spine into an S shape. And it was getting progressively worse. So the doctor came to us and told us she's gonna need surgery. And we knew the implications of her having surgery. One of the things is that because of her syndrome, she has blood issues and she could bleed uh, to death during the surgery. And then there were other complications with the surgery itself. Very easy for her to have ended up paralyzed or even not survive the surgery. So what do you do when you're in a situation whether you do something or you don't do anything, there will be consequences of that? Well, we prayed. We prayed hard as a family. And we were asking God for wisdom. And other people came and they prayed for us. And we obviously 
consulted with other doctors as well. We, we went to see two other doctors to get a second opinion, and both of them discouraged us from getting that from, for Danya going through the surgery. In fact, one of them bluntly told us, just enjoy whatever time you have left with your daughter. Not exactly the most encouraging thing a parent wants to hear in a moment like that. So after much prayer, we felt that God was telling us that it was not the time for her to have surgery. Three years later, last year, Danya's doctor came back to us and said, look, this has gotten progressively worse. In fact, here's a, a picture. This is not the exact picture of her, but this is kind of so you can get an idea of what she was facing. And now her spine had twisted to the point that it was crushing some of her internal organs. In fact, it was compressing against one of her lungs, and it was uh, causing some breathing problems with, uh, and complications for Danya. So once again, we began to pray, and we recruited other people to pray with us and for us for wisdom as far as what we needed to do. In fact, we're so grateful that one of our senior adult connect groups from the Sugarland campus came alongside of us and kind of adopted us, and they prayed for us, and they supported us in so many different ways that I don't have enough words to thank them for that. And many other people came alongside of us, and they were praying for us. And after much prayer, we felt that the Lord was telling us, now is the time for the surgery. And on February 13th, 2018, we took Danya to Texas Children's Hospital to the surgery. I can't tell you how hard it was for us to contain our emotions as they carted Danya to the surgery, the nurses and the doctors taking her, without us knowing if we were going to see her well again, or even if we were going to see her alive again. We all have our emergencies. You have yours. You have your share. You could probably remember the ones that you face. Maybe it's now the time that you're facing one of those great emergencies in life. And the question that we have in our minds is, how do we face something like this? How, how do we deal with something like this? And the answer is that God has given us the, a prayer as a tool so that we would be strengthened for a time like the ones that we face. And today I want to share with you a story from a great man of God who understood this principle. And in fact, not only did he understand that, that prayer was important for those seasons of emergencies, but he understood that prayer was important for any season of his life. That's why he had a strong prayer life, a consistent prayer life, and as a result, he was prepared for the many seasons of emergencies that he had to face. And in doing so, he set a, an example for us to follow as well. Whether he was a, a, a teenager and he had just been stripped away from his parents and exiled to a foreign land, a pagan land in which he had to be under a pagan god, or whether it was towards the end of his life as an old man that he was tossed unjustly in a den to be executed by lions tearing him apart. We know him as the prophet Daniel. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. In fact, Danya is actually named after Daniel because Danya is the Hebrew version of Daniel. And Daniel is an incredible role model for you and I. And in looking at one 
incident in his life and how he faced a life or death situation can help us as well face our emergencies. Now, the reason why this is so important is because we tend to look at God as simply an emergency operator. We tend to look at him as a 911 operator, that we only come to him when we're in the middle of emergencies. Now, don't get me wrong, I love 911 operators. In fact, one of the things that brings more comfort when you, you've been in an accident or you're facing a life and death situation is dialing 911 and hearing this. 911, what is your emergency? Right? We know that help is on the way. So when the 911 operator answers that call, it, it brings a certain relief in the middle of those situations. I remember a few years ago, well, many years ago, when my wife and I had just arrived in Houston, she had gotten this job babysitting uh, two precious uh, little girls. One was a four-year-old, the other was a one-year-old. And one afternoon, as she was taking care of them, she started feeling the, these uh, sharp pains in her abdomen. And the pain started getting increasingly worse. And it got to the point that she blacked out on the floor. And the four-year-old, Joanne, knew exactly what she needed to do. She grabbed the phone, dialed 911, and in a matter of minutes, an ambulance was there to assist my wife and uh, the two girls. See, 911 is an awesome service. I don't know how we would function without it. But there's limitations to a 911 operator. One of the limitations is that you can only call a 911 operator for certain emergencies, right? You can't do it for any emergency. If you're having a crisis in your marriage, you don't call a 911 operator. If you're having problems with your kids, you don't call a 911 operator. If you're, if you're facing a financial crisis, unless you want to be arrested, you don't want to call 911. So they can only help. In those extreme situations, that's when you call 911. But the other limitation is, is this, that um, you never develop a relationship with the 911 operator, right? You just talk to them over the phone. You, you, uh, maybe you find out their name. Maybe you never even meet them. I know that my wife never even knew the name of the person that had answered the call that day. And more than likely, if you've ever called 911, you don't even remember the name of the person that answered the phone and don't even know the person. Because the intent is never for you to build a relationship with your 911 operator. Your 911 operator is there to assist you in the case of an emergency. And when we treat God in that same way, when we only come to him, to him when we're facing an emergency, when we're in a crisis, when, when we have this big problem that we're facing in reality, we're cutting short of what is truly the purpose of prayer. See, prayer is given to us so that we will build a strong relationship with God. And when we know him, when we know him in a deep way, we're prepared for those moments in which emergencies are going to hit us, and they will hit us. Otherwise, what happens is that when we face an emergency... And that emergency is so big that it has the threat of busting our trust. Instead of that, when 
we truly know God, that emergency can become from a trust buster, turn from a trust buster into a trust builder. See, that's the second principle that we need to understand. And here's the key. The right view of God turns an emergency from being a trust buster to a trust builder. Whatever you're going through today, whatever situation you are going, even though it has the potential to crush your faith, the reality is that when we know, when we have the true view, the right view of God, then we can know for a fact that that emergency will end up building our faith instead of squashing our, our faith. It has to do with knowing who God is. So, what is your view of God? And the thing is that you build that view of God, you build that strong view of God, not when you're facing an emergency. You do it continuously because what, what's going to happen is the emergency exposes who you see truly as God, your view of God. And here's the key to everything that I'm going to share today. Whether, uh, you know, you, you, you find this not helpful or not or you're, you're thinking of the Avengers movie or your mind is wandering somewhere else. Let me get your attention back just for a minute. And this is the principle that you and I need to hold on to for any situation that we face. And it's this. Choosing to trust God as a caring father rather than an emergency operator um, is the key to face any situation. Choosing to trust God, that is a choice, that is a decision that we make to see him truly, that's the right view of God, as a caring father, rather than an emergency operator, is the key to face any situation. Any situation in your life, whether it's good times or it's bad times, knowing that you have a father that loves you, a heavenly father who is there with you, who understands your pain, who understands your fears, who understands your anxiety, who knows what you need at those very moments, and who is actually working behind the scenes, whether you see him or not, you know that he's there and he cares about you. That is the difference when we face our emergencies. And that can only be built when we have a strong prayer life. So, you might agree with me and you say, okay, I understand this one, Carlos. Yes, that's, that's a good point and everything. But how do I do this in practical life? Right now, I'm in the middle of an emergency, or I know that in the past when I've faced emergencies, I just freak out. I don't know what to do. I lose control. What do I need to do when I'm in the midst of that emergency? And, and I want to go then to the answer in Daniel chapter 2 so we can answer this question. How should we face an emergency with the right view of God? If, if we acquire it, if we're praying, if we're building that strong prayer life, how do we face an emergency when it hits? And Daniel is going to give us five principles that we're going to see in his life when he faced an emergency that we need to follow as well. So let me give you a little bit of the context of Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, this occurs three years after Daniel had faced the, um, the testing of his faith in God when he was a teenager. Because when he had just been exiled into Babylon, he was taken along with a group of other teenagers, and they had been invited to participate 
and, and uh, consume the food of the king. The problem was that this food had all been sacrificed to pagan gods. And Daniel knew, as well as all of those, those Jewish boys, that in participating and eating this food was to compromise their religious purity that they had been taught from the beginning of their days by their parents. And most of the boys there compromised. And it would have been very easy for Daniel to do the same. But in not compromising, as well as his three friends, he risked his life because you don't go against what the king orders. And yet, Daniel, being a teenager, already knew that although his earthly uh, father and his parents weren't there, there was still a heavenly father that was with him in that moment. And he trusted in him. And as a result... God gave him an incredible, an incredible deliverance and victory that very moment. And he was actually elevated along with his three friends to be part of the wise men that served under King Nebuchadnezzar. Three years later, King Nebuchadnezzar has this troubling dream. He just can't get it out of his mind. And just as he had done in the past, he, he summoned his wise men so that they would give him the interpretation of the dream. The problem was that in the past, the wise men would normally just come hear out the king's dream and then just make up any interpretation that occurred to them that very moment. And the king was on to them. So this time around, he tells them, okay, wise men or wise guys, if uh, you truly can interpret my dream, I need you first to tell me what my dream is. And when they hear that, they go, that's impossible. No man can do that. And they were absolutely right. There's no person that can do it. Only a God in heaven can reveal dreams. And that's where our story begins. Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 12. It says, because of this, that is, because they weren't able to give uh, the king the interpretation and the dream, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And look at this. The decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed. And they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. Can you imagine that? I mean, for us as Westerners, it's hard to think about this because we don't live under a monarch where his word is the law. Whether he says something and that we disagree with or not, there is no court that we can appeal to. There is no politician that we can go to to save us. Whatever the king says, whatever whim he has, that is to be followed. That was the situation with Daniel. Yet Daniel doesn't, doesn't freak out. Because here is where we see the first principle about the, the right way that we react in those moments that we face an emergency, and it's this. Assess the true gravity of your situation. Assess the true gravity of your situation, because what happens is that when we're in the moment of facing that crisis, we, we tend to freak out. We, we tend to overestimate the problem that we have, and in doing so, we complicate things rather than helping things. But that's not what Daniel did. It's incredible that he has such a great reaction. The first thing that he does is that he assesses, he tries to understand what was the danger that he was truly facing. So it says in verse 14, then Daniel responded 
with tact and discretion. Not exactly the right time to do it, but Daniel understood that there was a caring father in heaven that was with him. Um, discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? Then Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. See, what tends to happen with us is that when, when we face that emergency in our lives, our, our faith just crumbles and, and, and we go to pieces. But the reality is that if we have the right view of God, if God truly is our caring father and he is, then that means that we can be sober enough to assess the true gravity of the situation that we're facing. That's what you and I need to do when we're in the middle of those situations. But then Daniel does something else. He models for us a second principle as he faced his own life and death situation. And the second principle that, that he models for us is this. Do what is possible to solve the emergency and leave the impossible to God. Do what is possible to solve the emergency and leave the impossible to God. Look at what it says now in verse 16. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time. Brilliant, Daniel. Why didn't it occur to anyone else? So that he could give the king the interpretation. Daniel is sober. He knows that he can trust God. He knows that God is a caring father that is there even in those moments of emergency. And what he does is now, after, after having assessed the situation, the true gravity of the situation, now he does his part. Because in any emergency, it's not that we should just cross our arms, because Daniel could have done that and said, God, I know that you are a great God and that you love me. I'm just going to sit here and wait for the solution. No. You and I need to act in our emergencies as well. We do the part that is possible and we leave the impossible things to the God who his specialty is taking care of the impossible. We can trust him. We know that he will take care of it. And so Daniel was able to proceed. He was able to do what he needed to do, and he asked the king for more time. The next principle that Daniel models for us is this. Seek prayerful support from other prayer warriors. Seek prayerful support from other prayer warriors. Look at what it says now in verse 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery, so Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. So it's incredible to me to think about Daniel, because Daniel is truly the definition of a prayer warrior. I mean, outside of Jesus, I can't think of anyone else that better exemplifies what it means to have a strong prayer life and a consistent prayer life. I mean, if Daniel came to teach here at Sugar Creek, he would not teach us on 40 days of prayer. He would teach us on 40 years of prayer, because he was just an incredible man that was dedicated to prayer, and be, as a result, he understood that God was a caring father. But despite the fact that he was such a great warrior when it came to prayer, 
There were times that he needed other people to step in and help him with prayer. There were times in which he needed the assistance of others to support him in those very times of need. And so he goes to his prayer warriors in, in his life. And they're, they're able to support Daniel and support each other in a very difficult time. So my question to you is this. Do you have prayer warriors in your life? If an emergency was to strike your life at this very moment, do you have people that you could go to and count on to help you and support you in a crisis or an emergency? And here's another question. If there's a person in your life that faces an emergency, can they count on you to be a prayer warrior for them? See, we need other people in our lives. That's what we've been reminded from the beginning. That's the whole reason why Pastor Mark has taken us through the sermon series, to remind us that we need others, that we need to pray together as a church. And if you do not have those people in your life, I encourage you today to find them here as a church. We're going to help you find those prayer warriors and to be a prayer warrior for other people as well. Because the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone, and prayer always has a greater impact when we pray together than when we pray alone. Daniel understood this, and he went to the right place. The, following, the next principle that, um, that Daniel models for us is this. Praise God in the midst of your emergency. Praise God in the midst of your emergency. And that you know, if we're honest, that kind of sounds a little weird because the reality is that it's so easy to praise God when we're here in church, right? And even then, sometimes we could be distracted. We can, we're not focused on, on worshiping. We're just watching other people sing. And if that happens here in church, how are we expected to praise God when we're facing a crisis or an emergency? The reality is that it's hard. But that's when we need to praise God the most. See, praise is a way in which we're reminded that we have a heavenly father, that we can count on him, that he's there for us, that he understands our fears, he understands our anxieties, and he's there for us. And so when we praise him, it just helps us to understand who he truly is. See, you and I need to praise God more than what he needs us to praise him. And the moments of an emergency, wow, that's the time that you and I need to take seriously what it means to worship God. So that's what Daniel does exactly. Look at what it says in verse 19. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And Daniel, what does it say? Uh, I think maybe only some people understood that. What does it say? Praise. Praise, that's right. Praised the God of the heavens. And declared, may the name of God be what? Forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. And light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power, and now you have let me know what we asked of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. 
incredible praise from Daniel to God. And I know if you've been a Christ follower for some time, you already know how the story ends. So you could say, well, yeah, of course Daniel is praising God. He just got the answer. The whole thing has been resolved. But the reality is Daniel doesn't know that yet. Yes, he got the interpretation from God. He now knows what the, what the dream is. But it doesn't necessarily mean that everything has been resolved. The king could still have him executed as well as all the wise men. He could say, you, you know, you guys, I, I, I don't want you guys around. Let's, let's go ahead and change the whole group of wise men. At, a, at the very whim, a monarch can do whatever he wants. And yet, Daniel still chooses to praise God. And that's what you and I need to do. At those very moments, in our emergencies, in our crises, we need to praise him. One last principle that Daniel models for us, and it's this. Remind yourself that your heavenly Father is in control. Remind yourself that your heavenly Father is in control. Look at what Daniel does now. After receiving the interpretation and the revelation of what the dream was, now he goes to the king, and it says this, verse 26. The king said in reply to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? Maybe a little incredulous. Daniel answered the king, and I love this answer, no wise man, medium, magician, or diviner is able to make known to the king the mystery he asked about. No, king, no person can do this. This is an impossible task. But there is a God in heaven, a caring father, who does the impossible. And he says, But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. You and I, we have a caring father, a heavenly father, who is in control. Even when we don't see him, he is at work, and he cares about you. He understands the things that you're going through. So after they had taken Danya to the surgery, we were left in, in the waiting room. My wife and I were, were concerned. We're, we don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, this male nurse comes in and he introduces himself. His job was to keep us updated on the status of Danya as she was going through the surgery. And after explaining what the whole procedure was going to be, uh, he then said to us something incredible. He had never met us. He had, he, this was the first time we got to, to know him. And um, as he was talking to us, he said this. I know that you're afraid, but God is in control. He didn't know I was a pastor. He didn't know we were Christians. But here's the reality. Even a pastor needs to be comforted and know that God is in control in the moments that we face emergencies. And the same is with you and I. Wherever we're at, God is in control. And so after eight and a half hours, 20, uh, 22 um, of, the, of the screws in Danya's back, two rods, the surgery was successful. And after four months, Danya recuperated ahead of time. Amen. In fact, this is a picture of her as she's enjoying VBS here at Sugar Creek four months right after her surgery. Incredible. 
But that's not all. The cherry on top for us to know that God was in control is that as they took Danya to the PICU, the nurse that had been assigned to Danya was a member of Sugar Creek. That's Kathy Peralta that ministered to my wife and us, to our family. You and I, we have a caring father that is in control. And even when we don't see him, he's in charge. The right view is to see him, not as a 911 operator, but as a caring father who is in control. So the next time that you and I are in, in an emergency, instead of coming to God as though we dial 911 and hearing this, Nine one one. What is your emergency? We could be confident that when God answers, He's going to tell us, "I am your heavenly Father that loves you. You can trust me, because I am in control." Let's pray. So, heavenly Father, we thank you because you are a caring Father, and we ask that you forgive us because. Instead of choosing to build that prayer life, to know you deeper in our lives, the reality is that a lot of times we only come to you in our emergencies. But we ask that you would change that mindset, that you would help us understand that you are there in the good times and in the bad times, that you are in control. We love you and we thank you for your great love for us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.